Well, what's up, people? I am so excited about today at Second Chance. We are in the book of Ruth, chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app or whatever, and you want to go to Ruth, chapter 3. And uh, th- we're going to do this series for two more weeks. It was actually supposed to end next week, but I was doing a little bit of study, and it's act- we're going to take it out two more weeks. I know there's only four chapters, but the last week, it's all going to come together. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, super excited. Just want to kind of let you know that football season is really, really, really close. Um, now, I'm a college football fan primarily, but I'll watch all types of football, high school. I tried Canadian football. No offense to Canadian friends, but it was just not, it just didn't work for me, okay? It just didn't, I love Canada. Um, thanks for all the trees, but the, the Canadian football thing just didn't work for me. But I'm, I'm personally excited about college football. I think it's like 26 days till Clemson kicks off. I don't really care about the other teams, but it's like 26 days. And it, it kind of caused me to think back to the time when I played football. Now, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I played for two years and I was horrible. Um, you talk to most men and they'll tell you, if I wouldn't have tweaked my knee, I'd have been the next Aaron Rodgers. And it's not true. They suck. But um, I was horrible. But the one thing I do remember about playing football, and if you ever played football, you remember this, it was when you got in the huddle and they called the play and then, you, you know, we did one, two, three break and you broke out of the huddle to run the play. And when you broke out of the huddle, there's a little bit of excitement, especially in a football game where there's like a third and one or a third and two or whatever. A lot of excitement in the huddle, a lot of excitement going on. Are we okay, guys? Okay, I just didn't know if we we're having broadcast problems. So a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement in the huddle when you break the huddle. But let's say for just a second that you went to a football game and you're sitting there and you're watching the game take place and your team takes the field and they huddle up and they never break the huddle. And so they get a delay of game penalty and then a few minutes, you know, they go out, they get in the huddle and you're sitting there on the edge of your seat and they never break the huddle. And then they get another delay of game penalty and they never break the huddle. And the whole game, they, and they never break the huddle until the very last minute they break the huddle, they come out and they, they line up, but they don't actually run the play. Now, as a football fan, just a real quick question is yes or no. Would you be happy with your team's performance? Yes or no? No, 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 no. In football world, we would call that non-performance. However, in the church, we call that discipleship. Where a lot of people love to huddle up and talk about the plays that we could run, that we should run, but we don't actually run the plays. And I'll tell you the reason actually executing a play in football is a little bit intimidating. Sometimes the play doesn't work. Uh, anytime you're going to run a play, you're going to experience opposition because the other team's going to try to stop you. Anytime you go out and try to play, like, this is what I've seen. And I've seen it happen in Clemson. I've seen it happen in Carolina. I've seen it happen a lot in Georgia. No offense. Um, like, the home team will boo their own team. Like, you, you'll start booing your own team if your team isn't performing really, really, really good. And that happens in the church a lot. A lot of people simply don't step into what God calls them to do because they're afraid of the home team booing them while they're actually trying to step into what God's called them to do. So today, we're going to talk about this thing called grace. The grace of God. And you say, Perry, what does grace and execution have to do with each other? I think it has everything to do with each other. Because I think when you and I 
truly understand the grace of God, we'll stop talking about the play God called us to run. We'll stop thinking about the play God called us to run. We'll stop praying about the play that God called us to run. And we'll actually step into the play that God's called us to run. In fact, if you're taking notes, this is where we're going to go this morning. The grace of God compels me to go even when I don't know exactly how things will turn out. The grace of God, when we truly understand God's grace, it compels me to go even when I don't know exactly how things are going to turn out. Now, real quick review to catch everybody up. Um, Ruth chapter 1, we saw this guy named Elimelech. And Elimelech led his family away from Bethlehem, because remember there was a famine. They went to the land of Moab, where they were not supposed to go. And they were not supposed to marry Moabite women, but um, Elimelech's sons, Malon and Kilion, married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. After about a decade in Moab, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, they all died. Finally, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. Ruth comes with her. Orpah does not. And last week, we saw Ruth go out to the field. Remember, and she's gleaning in the field. She meets Boaz. Boaz thinks she's hot, invites her for a lunch date. They have a little lunch date. That was great. And then she continued to work for about six or seven weeks. And Boaz hasn't kind of followed up on the lunch date. And that's where we're going to pick things up in Ruth chapter 3, um, verse 1. Here we go. My Wi-Fi, Ed, has just shut down on my... There we go. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. In other words, don't miss this. Ruth, it's time for you to get married and get out of my house. I don't know if you got a daughter that's like 25, 30 years old, 35 years old. Most of it, it's not a daughter, it's a son. But it's time for you to get married and get out of my house. Now, this is kind of amazing for just a second because Naomi, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Naomi was an Israelite. She was Jewish. Ruth was a Moabite. So you got an Israelite and a Moabite, and Naomi is telling Ruth, I'm about to help you get out of my house and get married. On the surface, this seems kind of funny, like it's time for you to get out. But Naomi's saying to Ruth, you know what, Ruth? I want to help you take your next step. I want to help you become who God wants you to be. I want to help you do what God has called you to do. And the reason that's so fascinating is the Israelites weren't supposed to help the Moabites. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, just a little quick review um, Deuteronomy 23.3 says this, no Ammonite or Moabite, real quick, what was Ruth? What was Ruth? She was a Moabite. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for 10 generations, that's 400 years, okay, may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. So you've got Naomi and you've got Ruth and Naomi, who's technically the church person, and Ruth is the unchurched person. And in the Bible, it says the church person can help the unchurched person, but the unchurched person can't come to church. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Ruth couldn't even come to the assembly. But the message here is so profound. Just because you've been excluded from the assembly doesn't mean you've been excluded from the grace of God. Just because you've been excluded from the assembly doesn't mean you've been excluded from the grace of God. There's people here watching today. In fact, the reason that you're watching is you don't feel like you can go to church 
But the reality is this. When we understand the grace of God, it allows us to walk into church in freedom. And if there's a place that will not allow you to walk in because of who you are or what you've done, they just don't understand the grace of God. It gets deeper, though. Watch this. Watch this. Deuteronomy 23, verse 6 says this. As long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or the Moabites. So God, just a few chapters earlier, or a few um, books earlier, had told the Israelites, you can't help those people. There's our people, and then there's those people, and you can't help those people. Now, let's just stop for a second. How do we reconcile this? Is Naomi disobeying the word of God? And, and, and if so, how does she justify that? I mean, this is, this is a little bit messy. As I was even digging into this and studying this week, I thought, this is messy. Naomi is doing something very clearly on the surface that God said not to do. Don't promote the prosperity of the Ammonites or the Moabites. And the question becomes then, how in the world could Naomi justify this? Well, it's really simple. Naomi wasn't looking at the Moabites. She was looking at Ruth. In other words, she wasn't looking at those people. She was looking at this person. In actuality, those people had become this person, and this person had become her people. And it's amazing how unbelievable the grace of God can flow out of us when we stop, when we stop looking at those people and start looking at this person. I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a second. So, so, so Naomi says, hey, I'm going to help you get married. I'm going to help you out. Even though the Bible said don't help those people, she's kind of stepping into that. And it gets a little bit weirder. She says this, Boaz, which is still the most awesome, one of the most awesome names in the Bible, is a close relative of ours. He's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, that's a whole, that second part, we'll kind of get to that in a second. It's kind of weird. But the first part is Naomi says, the man I have picked out for you is Boaz. Now, what is it about Boaz? Why do you think Naomi selected Boaz? Out of all the men in Israel, why do you think Naomi selected Boaz? It's because of the grace of God. Because, see, Boaz had a backstory. That's the thing that we need to remember about everybody we lock eyes with. They have a story. And the story goes all the way back to the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They get set free. They're getting ready to invade Israel, the, you know, the promised land. The first city they're going to come to is Jericho. And so Joshua sends spies to Jericho, and this is what happens. Just a really quick review, okay? Here we go. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Pause. Anybody ever notice that's a little bit weird? Anybody ever hear about this in church? 
two guys just happened to show up at the prostitute's house? Hmm? I mean, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. It, it's not in the children's Bible, but it's in the Bible. They didn't go to the baker's house. They didn't go to Target. They didn't go to Walmart because they'd still be in line. They didn't go anywhere. No, 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 no. You got two guys showing up. Oh, oh, you're a hoe. That's how that conversation went down. All right. So next verse is this. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight, spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. So we have a lying prostitute. It gets worse, all right? Verse 5, they left the town at dusk at the gates, whereas the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. So she's the de deceiving lying prostitute. We, we can just kind of keep adding labels here. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax that she had laid out. And so what went, on, what went on after this is they told her, hey, because you helped us and because you rescued us, when we invade and we conquer Jericho, you're going to survive. So because of what she did, now, don't miss this, don't miss this. Rahab survived and lived among the Israelites. Don't miss this, this is huge as a foreigner who was known to be sexually immoral. Okay? She lived among the Israelites. Rahab lived as a foreigner who was known to be sexually immoral. Pause for a second. Ruth was from Moab. The Moabites were known to be sexually immoral. So you've got Rahab... A foreigner who's known to be sexually immoral. Ruth, who's known to be a foreigner who is sexually immoral. You say, period. Why does this matter? I'll show you why it matters. Because later on in the scriptures, when you're reading through one of those genealogies that so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, um, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You think Boaz grew up knowing what it was like to deal with somebody that had a reputation? Boaz grew up with a mother who was a foreigner who had a reputation. And here's Ruth, who was a foreigner who had a reputation. Who better to show and extend the grace of God to Ruth then Boaz, see, because Boaz, to Boaz, to Boaz, Ruth wasn't those people. Ruth was his person. So let me ask you this question. Let me just ask you this question. Who are those people when it comes to you? I've talked about this a few weeks before ago, but we still live in the, in the South. Racism is still a big deal. So if, if you're white, and I can talk about this because I'm white. I am white. I'm, I'm the whitest white there is. If you're white, do you, are, are the black people those people? Or are they your people? Because see, for the longest time growing up, black people were those people. But then after I had a conversation with Charlie, and after I had conversations with Corey, and after I had conversations with James, it's really difficult to categorize people when you can call them by name. We'll keep going. Gay people. 
Are gay people those people? Because as long as they're those people, once again, I've said this before, when you categorize, you can demonize. Are they those people? Or are they your people? Because see, once I had a conversation with James, and once I had a conversation with Stephen, and once I had a conversation with Ben, and once I had a conversation with Dana, those people became people with real names and real faces. You can keep going. Democrats. If you're a Republican, you love Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, and you hate everybody else, right? Are they th those people? Are they your people? Carolina fans. Well, there's a, there is a line. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Those people are people. Those people are people. Those people. To Naomi, Ruth was somebody that she needed to show the grace of God to. To, to Boaz, Ruth was somebody that needed to have the grace of God extended to them. And that's what happens to a body of believers when we refuse to say there's us and there's them. No, no. We say those aren't those people. Those are our people. By the way, isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus, because if anybody could have said those people and my people, it was Jesus and the angels. He could have said, these are my people, and those are those people, and we don't like those people. But not only did Jesus not, only did Jesus not say that, he came from heaven here. He humbled himself, and that's one of the biggest problems in Christianity today, is we will not humble ourselves to the point where those people can become our people, because at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat, and we all need the grace of God. I'll keep going. Here we go. So we see what happens next. Now do as I tell you. She's about to give Ruth some dating advice. First piece of advice. Take a bath, which is awesome advice. That if you are going to go on a date, this is mostly for the men, um, take a bath. Because smell is awesome. Okay? Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Now, this is where it gets weird. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, I want to pause real quick. They weren't drinking Kool-Aid, and they weren't drinking Coca-Cola. They were drinking wine. This is a party. And I, I want to show you in just a second, because this is the parts of the Bible that really disturb some people. Okay? Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Is this, is this a little bit disturbing? Like, does anybody give this dating advice to your daughter? Hmm? Hey, sweetheart, I know your boyfriend and his friends are going to go out to a party tonight. They're going to have several beers. Um, hide yourself in the bushes, right? And, and when he gets hammered, he's going to go back to his tent. And when he goes back to his tent and passes out, go in and lay down next to him. And when he wakes up, just say, I'll do whatever you want. Is that, is that the, are you, is anybody telling their daughter to do this? Heck no. I'm shooting the guy that tells my daughter to do this, right? So there's got to be something going on in this story that we don't see. And I think it's a couple things. If we remember at the beginning of the book, Naomi walked away from God, but then she came back to God. And so she's beginning to understand a few things about the grace of God. And I think, I think, I think the reason that Naomi says for Ruth to do this is because she trusts 
in God so much that she knows that in the, at the end, God's going to work everything out. This doesn't make sense on the surface, but Naomi saw something deeper that was going on that caused her to give Ruth this, on the surface, bad advice. And the reason I'm saying this is because sometimes God's going to lead us into things that don't necessarily make sense. And everybody doesn't understand them. But at the end of the day, if God says to do it, we're not responsible for making sure that everybody understands. We're just responsible for our obedience. And so, once again, on the surface, this is bad advice. Not only is it bad advice, Ruth does it. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. By the way, do you have a friend that you trust that much? I mean, this is is incredible. She trusts Naomi this much. You know why? Because Naomi was full of the grace of God, and Naomi wasn't going to tell her to do anything that was going to lead her into harm. And at the end of the day, those are the kind of friends we need to have, and those are the kind of friends we need to be. And the Bible says, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Now, this is where it gets crazy. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. Everybody know what that means? Listen, I'm not trying to clean this up for anybody. I'm not trying to clean this up. This means Boaz was hammered. I'm not excusing it. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. It's going to get real disturbing in two weeks when you find out what came out of this union, okay? So, so Boaz was hammered, speaking cursive, and he think about that for a little while. He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. You ever had that in the middle of the night? You just suddenly wake up? I, it, ha- it happens to me. You just suddenly wake up. Like or when, when you're driving down the road, you ever fall asleep at the wheel and you wake up? It's the best, it's the best two seconds sleep you'll ever get, right? But she, she um, uncovered his feet, or he un- uncovered his feet, lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. So God's working here. God's moving. God's moving. Because listen, because Ruth took a step, Boaz took a step. And, and God begins working in Boaz's life and woke up and turned around. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet, as would all of us if we went to sleep tonight by ourselves and we woke up and there's a woman going, what would you like to do? Um, this is a little weird, but something is going on in Boaz's life and we get a glimpse of it in this next verse. Who are you, he asked, you know, because he's still a little foggy, a little, little foggy, okay? I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Now stop. I can think of a lot of things that a guy in this situation might say to a girl. And the Lord bless you isn't in the top ten. I mean, maybe that's something about my heart. I don't know. But, but the Lord bless you is not in the top ten. But here we get a glimpse of the grace of God that's in the heart of Boaz because his first inclination isn't to take advantage of the situation is to show her the grace of God. He said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, exclamation point, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before for you have not gone after a younger man whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing. That right there is something that God wants to say to somebody today. 
Because Boaz is like the Christ figure in this story. And there are some people today watching, and you are obsessed with worry about a situation. It might be a financial situation. It might be an emotional situation. It might be a relationship situation. And the thing that God wanted you to see today is this verse right there where it says, now don't worry about a thing. Now, this is where some people would push back, and I understand. Perry, you can't tell me not to worry. You don't understand what I'm going through. And I would say, you're 100% correct. I have no idea what you're going through, but I know a God who knows exactly what you're going through, which is, I can, which is why I can say with confidence, don't worry about a thing. Which, that doesn't take the worry away, but let's keep going, and I, I want to show you why. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. See, God when it comes to his children, is always going to do what's necessary to help us see what our next step is. He said, I'm going to do what is necessary for everyone in town, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who's more closely related to you and I. So let me pause. In ancient Israel, when a, when a man died, his widow um, was married by the next of kin in order to keep on the family name. Usually it was the brother or whatever. So Boaz says, while I am in line, I'm second in line. There's somebody first in line. So don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Ruth had a plan and it didn't work out the exact way she thought it would. Has that ever happened to anybody in the room? You had a plan but the plan didn't work out exactly the way you thought it would. You planned on the kid. You didn't plan on the teenager. A little bit different. You planned on the wedding. You didn't plan on the divorce. You planned on the job. You didn't plan on the layoff. You planned on the good life. You didn't plan on the depression. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in life that we're not prepared for. But just because we're not prepared for it doesn't mean that God's not prepared for what we didn't plan for. That's why he's God and we're not. So, so this is not going according to plan. It's not going according to Naomi's plan. It's not going according to Ruth's plan. And isn't it frustrating for those of you that might be a control freak? I'm a control freak. Isn't it frustrating when things don't go exactly the way you want them to go? That's what's going on in this story. But he says, stay here tonight, and in the morning, I'll talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. Now, this, this, is not, this is not what you want to hear from the guy that you think you might spend the rest of your life with. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. In other words, this is what he tells her. Hey, I'm taking care of it. I know it's uncertain. I know it's unstable. I know you don't exactly know what's going on right now. But at the end of the day, I'm taking care of it. And I think that's maybe what God wants to say to somebody today who's in the middle of a situation that you never saw coming. And you don't know what to do. There's uncertainty around you in every situation. And all God wants you to hear today is, hey, I'm taking care of it. Well, God, I, I need to see a sign. Well, sometimes, sometimes God doesn't show us the signs. But we can rest with certainty that he's taking care of it. Because the Bible goes on to say, So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until morning, but she got up 
before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. So see, he's, he's even protecting her reputation here. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then she returned to the town. So he's, he's not only has he told her everything's all right, he's blessing her along the way. And I want to pause for just a second and just acknowledge the fact that a lot of us, whether you're watching the broadcast or you're in the room, a lot of us are in a situation in life that we thought we would never be in. A lot of us have experienced setbacks. A lot of us experienced um, disappointment. But at the end of the day, as you look back, haven't there been times that God has still been good to you? I mean, hadn't he blessed us along the way? Sure, we might not have exactly what we, what we wish we had. But at the end of the day, we don't have what we could have had. I mean, all of us have that, that story. That's another message for another time. Um, let's see. Um, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened to my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And he added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So Boaz is smart. Not only is he trying to win Ruth, he's trying to win the mother-in-law, all right? Then Naomi said, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. The man won't rest until he settled things today. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, that God is always at work. And at the end of the day, like I said, there may be people here that your life isn't going exactly as you planned. Things aren't going exactly as you planned out. But you know what? God's at work. And he won't rest until things, will sh until things are settled. Beautiful illustration of this. Um, and this is kind of a illustration slash building update. I am super excited about the fact that we get to launch Second Chance Church. And um, I've alluded to this before. I had a guy, I had a gentleman tell me a few months ago, you know the name of your church will just automatically shut some people down and drive them away. And I'm like, well, awesome. I would rather the name do it than them get inside and us do it because it's, it'll happen either way. Um, we're going to be a church for people that, that, you know, we don't have to tell them they're messed up. They know they're messed up. My God, look at the pastor. So, so if I can pastor the church, like people are going to be messed up. And we started this thing back in December with an iPhone 7 and didn't even have a tripod. I just propped it up on some bookshelves. And we had no idea where it would go. And slowly but surely, God has allowed us to do some things. And we, um, we have a facility. I want to pause for a second, okay, because people ask. Um, we do have the facility. It is in Anderson. We don't have campuses. We don't have campuses. When are you going to start a Charleston campus? When are you going to start a Columbia campus? We are a true church plant. We are starting with, we started with nothing. We had an iPhone 7, my God. We didn't even have the 8. So, so we started with nothing. And so campuses, maybe five or 10 years down the road. I, I don't know. What I know is I'm super excited about what God is doing. Um, and we started uh, the 250,000 fund um, about six or seven weeks ago. And the reason we started the 250,000 fund is because we needed $250,000. And I'm creative, so that's what we called it, the 250,000 fund. And so we announced it. Um, slowly but surely, people have been given to it. And it's been awesome. 
And we really pushed on it last week because we said we need to raise 250000 Last week, about this time, we had 25000 around $25,000. And I just wanted to share the update. The, the most recent update as of this morning is we've got $54,565.51. Now, now, that's awesome. You know why? Because God hasn't taken care of all of it. But in the past week, we've seen some progress. And as a follower of Jesus, I can't be the guy that kicks and screams when things don't go exactly my way. I have to look at where I was and how far we've came and thank God for the difference. And at the end of the day, you might not be exactly where you thought you would be. But take a look at where you are and take a look at where you came from and thank God for the difference because it's the grace of God that makes up that gap. For, for Ruth, and we're going to see this next week and the next two weeks, it's incredible what the grace of God allowed Naomi to show her, what the grace of God allowed Boaz to show her, and in this story, in this story, I don't know about you, in this story, I'm, I, I identify more with Ruth. Not the person that extended the grace of God, but the person that really needed the grace of God. And so at the end of the day, a couple questions to, to conclude. Number one, do you have anybody in your life that are those people? Because at the end of the day, as followers of Christ, it's not supposed to be us and them. It's supposed to be us. Period. Number two, number two, um, who do you have a hard time showing the grace of God to? Because that might be a, that, 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 that's an opportunity for us to step into the uncomfortable to experience the supernatural. And number three, have you ever really experienced the grace of God? Like, have you received God's grace, received Jesus, and submitted your life to him? And number four, number four, the last question, is are you thankful even though you're not where you should be or, or where you want to be, you're not where you could have been. At the end of the day, that's what I've got to celebrate. That's the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for this story where you don't take out the messy parts, Jesus. You left them all in there so we can see that the Bible is not this G-rated book full of Wonderful children's stories, but it's messy. There's messy people that you use, God, in incredible ways to bring miracles about. So, Father, I want to pray right now, and I want to ask in the name of Jesus for those of us watching today that, that may have, God, we may have issues with people. We may be somebody that people have had issues with us. God, we may... We may know what you want us to do, but we're scared to do it. We may need to extend grace to somebody that we don't think they deserve it. Maybe we need to be thankful, God, for how far you've actually brought us in our journey. And God, there might be somebody here today that's never prayed and received your grace. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're watching today, you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. I want to invite you right now to, to give your life to Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. Giving your life to Jesus won't make your life easier. It, it, 
it might it won't always necessarily be better but i'm telling you what at the end of the day the quality of life the peace and the joy that we can experience in circumstances that are unbelievably pressing will blow your mind jesus changed my life and he'll change yours as well if you'll give yours to him so if you're watching right now and you'd love to give your life to jesus i want to i want to invite you to pray jesus christ you just pray right now, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I give everything to you. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you. Come in, take over and take control. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you'll hit the hand raise emoji on our website, or if you will um, give us a hand raise emoji on the Facebook site, whichever one you're watching, we would love to know and celebrate that with you. Next week, next week, we're going to see this story. In fact, next week, if you're an emoji person, if you love emojis, you're going to love next week because we're going to feature the poop emoji. It is going to be a major part of the message next week. I know you're not going to want to miss that. And like I said, that's where we are on the building fund. Uh, $54,565. Thank you for those of you that have given. We're making progress. We're making progress. And when that gets to $250, we'll be able to go to level two and be able to get in that building. So you can go to our website and give. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. God bless.